bow down with me. Father, we thank you for your grace and your kindness toward your people. Oh, I pray may you refresh our souls and guide us to you to be fully satisfied in our great shepherd. Give us strength and focus our mind and desire of our will to submit to you and to trust you. Pray in Christ's name, amen. As you notice, we are in a mini-series on Psalms. Max was preaching Psalm 1, one of the famous Psalms, and asked you a question, are you a, bl- are you a blessed man? There's a great exposition that a blessed man rejoices in the Lord and in the law of the Lord. And then Tim points out that our cover is in Christ. Our cover is in God who covers our sins. And the blessed man always runs for cover because he understands that he is sinful. He needs grace. And the means of this cover is Christ's love. The book of Psalms is, is a great book. I remember the first time I received my Bible from my dad, he gave me. And it was a New Testament with Psalter, which was smuggled through Czechoslovakia into the Soviet Union. And at 12 years old, I read it cover to cover, and I was impressed by a few things, by Jesus in the Gospels and by Psalter. And Psalter gripped me at 12 years old, something that it gave me uh, some comfort, some uh, joy, because the book of Psalms, it is the book of prayer and the book of emotional expression to our God in songs. This is a book of songs. And I found that, that even now, when I am experiences emotional roller coaster, I go to songs. Calvin remarks regarding the Psalms, for there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. The Holy Spirit has here drawn to the life all the griefs and sorrows, fears, doubts, hopes, cares, perplexities. In short, all the distracting emotions with which the minds of men are wont to be agitated. Everything in Psalms. Now, the Psalm that we're going to look at today is probably the most famous of all Psalm 23. Even unbelievers could recite the psalm. I don't know what your favorite song, but my favorite psalm is Psalm 23. I can't explain it why, I just love it. And I find myself reading it over and over, again reciting my head. Now, unbelievers know it, and if you've been, if you've been brought up in Christian family, you've been weaned with the psalm. Now, you could read it with me in Psalm 23. It reads a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and loving kindness would follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, this psalm has a special place in our hearts. Many times you could hear it during the funerals. But I could assure you that there's no death in this psalm. And in fact, the word death that once appears, shadow of the death, the death of the, the shadow of death, it's not there. This is the song of life, the song of reflection on God's goodness, and the song of experience in walking with God. Now Spurgeon said that this psalm is a pearl of all psalms, pearl of all psalms, and he is absolutely right. But this psalm not only have a special place in our hearts, but also a special place in Psalter. It, it appears between Psalm 22 and Psalm 24. If you know a little bit Psalter, in Psalm 22, we see a good shepherd laying down his life for the sheep. It is, this Psalm 22 starts, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A good shepherd who's caring for sheep, he's laying down his life for sheep. And you could, you know, see that Jesus is quoting this psalm from the cross. In Psalm 24, it's another reality. It's when the great shepherd comes back for his sheep. And it says, the king of glory, lift up all gates, all uh, your hats, all gates, and be lifted up, all ancient doors, the king of glory may come in. And in between those two realities, great shepherd laying down his life for the sheep. And great shepherd coming back as the king to get his sheep. He is leading his sheep right here, right now. And this psalm is for us. Now, this is a very dangerous psalm simply because it's too familiar to us. And we're easily dismissing it's like you're too familiar with your kids and you fail to learn them, or you're too familiar with your wife and you fail to notice her. This is the psalm that we are abandoning often. We just say that I know it. My job today is to scratch the surface of the psalm because this psalm encapsulates the whole Christian reality. The whole Christian life, the whole Christian experience is here. And my job is just to scratch the surface and point and explain the metaphor so that we could start digging in and apply this eternal psalm to our lives here today. Now, what is the psalm about? What is the psalm about? The psalm is about a very simple point. A caring shepherd, a heavenly shepherd, cares for you so that you should not worry. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall experience complete peace, total peace. Now, the psalm, the structure of the psalm could be split in two parts. Naturally, it does split in two parts because when you read 1 to 3, verses 1 to 3, you see that the shepherd, the David, is, is relate to the Lord as in the third person, and he said, the Lord is my shepherd. He is my shepherd. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He restores me. He guides me. But in verse 4, he shifts from the third person to the second person, and he addresses the Lord, and he said, you have prepared a table 
before my enemies. You are loving, your loving kindness. I'll be at your table. I'll be pursued by your mercy and kindness. Or another way to split it is to see verses one to four. Is when you see the metaphor of a shepherd. A great shepherd is caring for the sheep. And then in verse five, the metaphor shifts. Because now, sheep do not sit at the table no more, drinking, sipping wine. It is the guests. So then at the first verse 1 to, to 4 is the great shepherd and the sheep. And the verses 5 to 6 is the great host, gracious host in the guests. But I want to take this a little bit different approach to this text. I want to show us and to see our experiences with the Lord. I, I title, title my sermon, When the Lord is My Shepherd. And when the Lord is my shepherd, I would say these five realities, five experiences be true about you. When the Lord is your shepherd, these would be true about you. And this is a question for you. When you listen to these realities, to these experiences, you could ask yourself, do I have this? Do I have this? And, and, and check in if those realities, those experiences are true. You could finally say, yes, it is because the Lord is my shepherd. What are those realities? Number one, I won't tell him right away because you won't remember anyway. But we take them one by one. Number one, when the Lord is my shepherd, I could experience a personal relationship with him. Number one, personal relationship with God. Now look at this. Verse 1 immediately tells us about the Lord as he's a shepherd. The quality of God is represented here as the shepherd. He said, he is my shepherd. God is represented in the Bible often as a shepherd. In Genesis 48, 15, when Jacob was at the end of his days and he called his sons to pour blessing upon them and prophesy about their life, he pulled the strength, full strength, sit down at the, at the bed, and he said, God has been my shepherd all my life. And then he died. This is how Jacob saw God as the shepherd. I like how Isaiah shows God, verse four, chapter 40, verse 11, says, like a sh shepherd, he will tend his flock. And many times we see that God appears in the Bible as a great shepherd who cares for the flock, which is Israel. Psalm 80, verse 1 says, the psalmist invoked God in this matter. Hear us, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. But we see that this Lord has a personal name. He's not just the God of the Bible is the shepherd. He's not just the some God, but his name is here. Every time you see capital Lord, L-O-R-D. It speaks about his personal name. This God, shepherd, is Yahweh. He has personal name. And this is how we come into the personal relationship with anybody. The first thing that we do is say, hi, my name is Jan. The Lord introduces himself here. My name is Yahweh, Yahweh of this whole universe. My personal name, I am by the character, is shepherd who cares for the sheep. But more to this, when you read Psalm 23, you probably imagine that it's talking about God, the Father, the shepherd. But if you read New Testament, we know that this shepherd is no one but Jesus Christ. Because we just read 
with Vitaly in John chapter 10 that he says, I am the good shepherd. I am the shepherd, the good one. I am, I will lead my sheep to my father. And this is because Jesus is a full replica of the father. And this is how we know the father that he is, has in shepherd heart because Jesus appeared as a shepherd. Now, New Testament many times talks about Jesus as the shepherd. For instance, in Hebrews chapter 13, it says Jesus is a great shepherd. First Peter chapter 2.25, it says shepherd and a guardian of our souls. Who is that? Jesus. And First Peter 5.4, he's called chief shepherd. And in Revelation 17, he calls both lamb and the shepherd. Now, these relationships, you have a personal relationship with Christ, who is your shepherd. That's what David expresses. This is what he's approached. But David writes the psalm not from the standpoint explaining theology about God the shepherd. He's writing from his perspective. And who is David in this text? He's not the shepherd, even though he was all his life. He is the sheep. He is the sheep. And he says, I am the sheep. That's the David's perspective. He wrote this perspective from the sheep standpoint. You know, it's interesting that over 200 times in the Bible, God calls us sheep. He probably wanted to communicate something to us. When you think about yourself, you might think in, 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 in many different aspects, but God thinks about us as a sheep. And that's not a pretty sight. I, I don't want to insult you or I don't want to just put down your self-esteem. Keep it. But I found that we are we are resembling the sheep at least in three aspects. There are many, many aspects, but in three aspects that why God looks at us as a sheep. Well, sheep are not intelligent, not highly intelligent creatures. And when you think about yourself as not highly intelligent creatures compared to God and his wisdom, it helps you to realize how God views you. Like I am in the same boat. How many times you could say you did dumb and stupid things in your life? How many times? How many times you could say, why did I say this? Like that was dumb. That was stupid. That was not helpful. That was really destructive. Why did I do that? Or why did I do this thing? Or why did I do it again? Right? Why are we doing these things that dumb and aren't helpful, not productive again? Are you relating with me? Why did we do Because we're not highly intelligent, wise creatures. We need a shepherd who could guide us and teach us. We are not, as sheep, number two, we don't have a good sense of direction what is righteousness or right direction. We don't have it. The sheep are easily misguided. Me easily. We're like sheep who are gone astray. That's Isaiah 53. It's clear, it's biblical. We're gone astray, everyone on his own way. We don't even know where to go. I tell you, if the sheep would be placed at the green pastures, it will die from starvation. Because when the green pastures is over, it would never find another. Sheep cannot find the water on its own. So we're not highly intelligent. We're not, we don't have a sense of right direction, and we have no defense mechanism. The only defense mechanism that sheep has, it's running away. The sheep either run to each other and bump one another or run away when the danger is. 
That's why we need a protector. But the crooks of this relationship, in verse 1, the Lord, the Yahweh, Jesus, is my shepherd, and I am the sheep, is really in one word, my. My. It is when you realize that he's a great shepherd, and you are this sheep who needs this shepherd, and you connect those things. Nothing in the psalm would apply to us if we don't make this connection and relationship that I have personal relationship to this shepherd, that he is my shepherd, and I am his ship. We need a shepherd. We need our shepherd. There's a story of a famous actor who was invited at a church banquet, and he, someone challenged him to recite Psalm 23. And he said, I will do, I'll recite Psalm 23 if your pastor comes after me and do the same. And so the pastor agreed, and he came and brilliantly recited, and, and people stood up in ovation. And then pastor came in, and he recited the psalm, and nobody stood in ovation, but everybody were moved, and some were teared up. And someone asked this actor, what happened? What was the difference? And he said, well, I know the psalm. Your pastor knows the shepherd. You see, the question is, do you have a personal relationship with the great shepherd? Or he's just here on the pages of Scripture. Who is your shepherd? The fact is that we all have a shepherd. Either the Satan and the prince of this world is your shepherd, or he's Jesus. There is no other reality. Number one, the experience in my life, I could experience my personal relationship connection to my shepherd, and I could say, he is my shepherd. I shall not want. The second thing, the second experience, the second reality, when the Lord is my shepherd, that I could have a complete peace is because he brought me to rest. He brought me to rest. Look, he said three things I shall not want. He make me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside quiet waters. What he communicates here is that it's not so much of the provision. He's communicating that he brought me to rest. I'm at rest because I'm satisfied with my Savior. The focus here is in satisfaction and quenching of the deepest desire. Now, every one of us wakes up in the morning with thousands of desires. Thousands. How can you say that I shall not want? Like, I always want something. Wake up in the morning, I want a cup of coffee. I want to go home. I want to take the rest. How can you say I shall not want? Well, the focus of this is that it's not that he will satisfy every, de de every desire that you possibly have. He will satisfy one with himself. The focus, not on complete satisfaction of every trinkle and desire that you have, but satisfying that you have a shepherd. The greatest need in early in the morning and late at night is not the next thing that you need to get, but it's Jesus. That is all you need. That is all I need. And that is all satisfaction. I like how C.S. Lewis puts this. He says, Christians say creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for that desire exists. A baby feels hunger because there's a food. A duckling wants to swim because there's such a thing as a water. Man feels sexual desire because there's such a thing as a sex. 
If I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that doesn't prove that the universe is fraught. It just means that there's something else that quenches my spirit. So, what is that that you want? David said, when I have my shepherd, I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied because I trust him. I'm satisfied not tomorrow. I'm satisfied here now. I shall not want, says, well, I shall not want tomorrow. I shall not want now. I have it all that I need because in Christ I have all things. And it's basically a declaration, an attitude of heart when you say, I shall not want. I'm satisfied because I have all provided in him. I shall not want. I declare that. So what does that mean, I shall not want? Is it true of your life that when you have your shepherd, that's all thing that you want? Or you often find yourself that, yes, Jesus plus something else will satisfy you. And we're going from one thing to another, seeking pleasure and satisfaction. See, David has learned that the satisfaction of life does not come from the strength. He has the, a great army and great accomplishment. He, it doesn't come from that. He has the, the storeroom of gold. It doesn't have cap and for that, that satisfaction. The only thing that he needs and satisfy his soul is that he is a shepherd. Think about this. If you ever taken care of an older person who can't drive, can't really walk, can't really wash it himself, you know what they care about, those people? About the care provider and caregiver, that's all. As long as you, as a caregiver, appear, they're fine. They don't need a car, they don't need a driver license, they don't need a shower, they need you. And that's what David says, when I have you as my shepherd, I am satisfied. But it also because he trusts him, and he said, he makes me satisfied. He makes me lie down. You know, he, he leads me to the green pastures. No, it doesn't say so. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. You know what lie down means? Lying down meaning that you rest. Now, we, we, we don't, you know, like to rest. We coined the phrase 24-7, right? What, what does it mean? It never stop. We're always, like, we're, we're always going. We wake up early. We're always doing something. We are not resting. We're pausing. We even call it recess in school because it is something between things. We need to just stop and, and, and just pause a little bit. But when God talks about rest, he's talking about in the sense that you have complete peace resting in me. I make you lie down. If you have children, or have children, the, the, hor- the most horrible thing for a child is a napping, right? That's the waste of time. Like, you can never agree with the child. It's like, this is good for you. You can never teach. You just have to put them down. They, they never wanted to rest. They always, even though at the end of themselves, they can't walk, they have no energy, they're whining, they need to lay down, but they said no. And so what do you do? You take a child, put her in a crib, and so you, you stay. You lay down, because I know what you need. But that's what happens here. My shepherd knows my need, 
how to satisfy me with himself in provision. He brings me to green pasture and makes me lie down. I don't want to lay down. I want to run. I want to take another step. I want to take another action. But he said, lie down and rest in me. Now, it's interesting. The reason why he says, I want to, I want to show you something. You know, they're probably thinking, uh, I was always thinking about green pasture wrong. Like, if you put the first slide, you'll see that this is probably the image that you have in your mind, the green pastures. God brings you to the lavish, flourishing green grass that is bigger than you, and you, ha- you don't have to take another step. You, j- you arrived. Everything's, I shall lack in nothing. Everything is there. But if you've been in Israel, and you know where he wrote it, you know where David was brought up in Bethlehem area, there is no such thing as this. In fact, in Israel, the shepherds would never bring to the farmland their sheep. Can you click the next slide? These are the green pastures. Now, that doesn't look green pastures. For me, they look like these goats and sheep eating rocks over there. But you see, God brings us to this desert, and he calls this green pasture for a reason. If you click on the next slide, you see, in desert, there's not so much rain. Rain is very rare. All the moist, all the, all the uh, water comes from the moisture in the air, and it just kind of, at the end of the, at the evening, it comes down and drips through the rocks and, and creates a little wet spot around the rocks, and there's a spark of vegetation grows here and there. And if you look from the top, you will see rocks and red, but if you lay down, if you click next slide, if you lay down, it becomes green. And you see that God provides for me, even in the desert, that is enough for me. I don't have to have lavish for every day and for future. I have to trust him now and here today because he makes me lie down and makes me satisfied here. See, rabbi, one rabbi said, worries is dealing with tomorrow's problem on today's pasture. Sheep are not worried because they have a shepherd. He will take them from here to another place. And when they graze here and the, the grass is gone, the shepherd will lead them somewhere else. You could put it down. He makes me lie down to realize that he takes care of, and there is a provision. He is the one who guides us. He is the one who, who provides for us. But we need to trust him. Trust him here and now where you are. And not to imagine yourself that this is the green pasture. Wherever you are right now, if the Lord is your shepherd, it is the green pasture. You could lay down and trust that tomorrow God will provide. And that's why he would say, I will not worry. I will not worry about tomorrow. Let tomorrow worry about itself. Now, the third thing, the third experience, the first is that you experience my personal relationship with my shepherd. And then he bring me at rest. As a whining and restless child, 
and as a sheep he makes lay down. And then he brings the restoration. The third thing, I could experience restoration with my God. Restoration. In verses 2, he says, he leads me besides quiet waters. In verse 3, he restores my soul. You could experience restoration in the desert land when he brings you to quiet waters. And the water here is not the river, is not the pond, because there are no such thing as ponds and as lakes in Israel. There are wells. And the shepherd brings through the desert, and the sheep would never find the well by itself. And he brings it there and draws the water, and it's water of quietness when sheep could refresh itself. But it's interesting that he says that he restores my soul. How does he restore my soul? Not just by providing me for, for me the drinking water and coldness of the day, but he restores my soul by directing it. The word here meaning shuv in Hebrew, meaning return or turn around or repent, as we see. Now, when you're weary and tired in a desert land, you know what the most thing that brings you restoration? It's not just someone comes in and encourages you and says, well, yeah, you just hip, you keep going. And when you're lost in the desert, someone comes in and redirects you and say, you've gone astray. You will find no peace and rest here. You need to go to your shepherd. You know, Jeremiah 2.13 says, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. They've the fountain of living water to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold no water. And Jesus said, I am the living water. He who believes in me, as the scriptures say, from his innermost being will flow rivers still of living water again. It is when we drawn away or went away from Jesus, someone comes and brings the word of truth to us and return us to the great shepherd. That's what he does. He redirects, he restores my soul through Primarily, repentance. He changes your direction. Message to Revelation, Jesus says to Laodicea, Revelation chapter 3, it says, Who, Those whom I love, I reprove, I discipline, therefore be zealous and repent. When is the soul needs restoration? It's when you're tired of working? No, it's when you've gone astray. You need restoration, reproof, correction. The problem for David was not that he that need refreshment in life so much, but, but he needs to be brought to the green pasture again. He needs to be restored. And when we had fed on Jesus, we have trusted in his care. Our soul is quiet and restored. When we return from our sin, we are restored. When our soul becomes weary, chances are that there's some sin in our lives that bothers us. And he gently turns us away to himself. He leads us beside quiet waters, but he restores my soul. You can bank on that. He restores your soul. That's why he, next thing he says, he guides me to the path of righteousness. When you've gone astray, he turns you around, restores you, refreshes you, and guides you to the path of righteousness. Notice paths in plural. There's only one path of righteousness, Jesus, who leads to the Father. Why is he talking paths of righteousness? Is this such a thing like your truth, my truth, your righteousness, my righteousness? No. He's talking about that through life experience, you will have many ways Tomorrow is going to be another road. The question is, 
Is it going to be a path of righteousness? Every day we're presented with thousands of choices. The question is, are they path of righteousness or not? You will live in different places. You would go through many different experiences. You will have different children. You will have different work days and so on. The question is, are you going to walk in a path of righteousness then? And we rely on our shepherd. He leads us. He guides us. He redirects us. He restores us. He gives us this peace. So I could have peace. When I'm on the right way, I don't have to worry because he protects and cares for me. And he does this for his name's sake. Now, here's a blow to our self-esteem when when we think that we're so great and so nice that God takes care of us. The, The truth is that God takes care of us and loves us truly because he cares for his namesake. You know, we are bounded with God and with his name. God's name is bound with our walk as believers. Now, many people say, well, well, just we under grace. It doesn't matter. They excuse by saying, you know, it's, anything goes, but God's word plainly says, let everyone whose name names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. We are bound to the name of the Lord. We are must, we must walk in the, in the walks of the Lord and walks of righteousness, and he will make sure that we'll do so because he cares for his name, and his name is holy. Now, because the Lord is my shepherd, I could experience those things. Personal relationship with him, complete rest. And I could bank on restoration. He will guide me. He even later said that he's, he has a staff for that. He has a, he has a rod for that to correct me and to change my direction. But the fourth thing I could experience, his personal protection. He becomes not just my shepherd, but he's become my shepherd guard. Because he is my shepherd, I could say, I shall feel no, fear no evil. I could feel secure and protected today. In a time of death, I could be feel secure and protected. And the reasons for that, because he is always with me. Verse 4 says, for even though I walk through the death, the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Now, there's a few reasons not to worry when you walk, because he's protecting you. First thing that he mentions here, valley of the shadow of death. Now, I mentioned before, the death word death is not there. It's just a great valley, scary valley, where there's a lot of shadow, gloomy shadows most likely refers to the deep ravines when the Lord is leading you to the green pastures. He's going to lead you through the shadows, through some scary places. There are many scary places in Judea, and the shepherd would have to travel through one green pasture to another through these wadis. But it's interesting that he says, well, you're not going to go through the death, but you walk through the shadow of things. Shadow of things. The shadow cannot really hurt you, right? The shadow of the dog cannot bite you. Why would you worry? The shadow of the sword cannot kill you. But the thing is that you know that when there is a shadow of a dog, that there's a dog around, right? 
There's something that we scare more than the shadow. We scare the reality. That's what he says, that I shall fear no evil. The evil is real. It's not just the illusion and imagining thing. Oh, it's just a shadow. It's a real thing. But he said, because he compares this evil as to the shadow, I will not afraid. Because the shadow, as the shadow cannot destroy you, the evil cannot destroy you. It cannot destroy you. Greatest evil in our life is death. The greatest evil. And the death cannot destroy you. No matter where you're going and how you end up, your death would not destroy you. You will have the resurrected body again. And that is why David says, well, I shall fear no evil because evil cannot completely harm me. But he also says that I'm not afraid of evil because you're with me. You're taking care of me. I don't have to be afraid and worried because you are always with me. As evil is real, you are more real. Now, shadow does not appear by itself. Every time there's a shadow, there's reality. Let's say there's a dog, there's a mad dog that's chasing after you, and you see the shadow. But you also know that the shadow cannot be without the sun and without the light. So there's always light, there's always greater reality. Even if you have this evil in your life, know that there's a great shepherd who is the light and he's taking care of you and protecting you. So even the shadow, even the evil, even the sufferings could point to God, the shepherd. Now he mentions that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, if it would be me, and God will lead me, and I would be chosen my own destiny to go, and I have to go through the valley, darkness, sufferings, and pain. I would run. I would run. I would take all my energy and say, well, I just want to zip through this experience really quickly so that it doesn't touch me, hurt me, and in five minutes I'll be out. But he says, I'm walking like nothing happened, like I walk in a green pasture, like I walk to the water, quiet water, I'm still walking through these shadows. And I could do that because you are with me. We're not in a hurry. It is the path of life. This is a part of life designed by God. And by the way, God designed sufferings for us purposefully so he could lead us and we could appreciate and learn that he can protect us. And we walk through. That is an encouraging part that we don't have to settle there also. We walk in. We don't have to run. But we don't settle in the valley. We're going through. And we will go through. So the experience here is that you have no fear. You have no fear. Because he's with you. One night, David Livingstone who was a, a great missionary to Africa, surrounded by hostile, angry tribes, was strongly tempted to flee. He, he, he read the Lord's word, Go therefore and teach all the nations, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And he wrote in his journal, It is the word of gentlemen of the most strict and sacred honor. So there is an end of it. I will not cross tonight as I intended. I feel quite calm now, thank you God. Years later, when receiving an honorary doctorate from the University of Glasgow, he said, 
Would you like me to tell you what supported me through all the years of exile among people whose language I could not understand and whose attitude towards me was always uncertain and often hostile? It was this, Lord, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. That's what keeps us going through the shadow. That's what keeps us going through the sufferings and heart experience. We're not running away from it because if you run away, you run away from the shepherd also. But you stick with him. Because the Lord is always with me, he cares for me. And I could trust him and I fear no evil. And besides, equally, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The Lord's discipline that he is not only our shepherd, but he's caring father for us and cares for his children. And he will protect us from the wolves, but also he will discipline us with the rod helps us and comforts us. I'm always amazed how children want to hug you after you spank them. There's no logic in that. But they do. They want to come to you because you are the only source of love and the, the undeniable love that they have. So the spanking and the discipline does not break that. And you can experience that. Do you experience that? Are you experiencing this with the Lord when he's leading you through this dark time that you don't become more callous, more angry, more irritated, separating yourself, but you cling to the Lord as to your Father? Now, the metaphor here breaks, and there are two other, one other experience that I want to mention. I experienced personal provision in verses 5 and 6. I have protection. I'm protected. Do you feel protected by the Lord? Or you try to protect and take matters in your hands? But here he said, I am provided. I don't have to strive for every, anything because he invites me at his table, verse 5, and he invites me to his house, verse 6, and I will dwell there forever. I experienced this personal provision, not just one day, not just two days, but all the days of my life. This is my experience. I am provided. I have been invited to the great communion, great fellowship in verse 5. He prepared the table for me. You prepared the table for me. You spare no blessings. The picture here is God, a gracious host, throwing a banquet, taking a tent, invite you to the tent, and throwing a banquet in front of your enemies. Now, when you become a Christian and, and the Lord becomes your shepherd, it doesn't mean that you have no enemies. You always would have enemies. In fact, Jesus said, if everybody's going to talk, talk good about you, you have a problem. You will have enemies. But the thing is that you don't worry about that because you are provided by the Lord, and he, in front of them, prepares this great, lavish, generous banquet. And you are invited as a guest. Now, notice who is at the table. He said, it's for me. I am at the table. But who prepares this? The Lord prepares the table. He anoints my, oil, oil, my head with oil. He fills my cup. He invites me to the celebration. The table represents the feast, the full provision. Oil represents the refreshment perfume. And perhaps even here points to the messianic anointing. The cup that never runs out 
really means that it's satisfying my quench. I have a cup who will satisfy me. It's not that just it runs over. It just doesn't, I don't need it anymore. I am quenched. As the traveler would seek the cup of wine or cup of water, the guest that the host will provide it generously for him. And the Lord is serving you at the table. I mean, can you imagine that? Does this remind you of something? Does this remind you of, of last Sunday when we were at the Lord's table and he served us with his bread and his wine? It does remind me. He invited me to this lavish feast, and we on the way to another table when we will break bread with the Lord Jesus in heaven at his banquet. The fact that we sit with the Lord in front of the enemies shows that he has complete victory in our lives. I'm trusting him. He got this battle. He is already won. We're just sitting and enjoying the time. The Lord God Almighty, my king and my shepherd, could take care of me. And therefore, I could experience peace. Is that true about you? I like verse 6, as he mentions this. And this is kind of his, his reflection, his praise. He is so sure about something. What is he sure about in verse 6? He says, surely somebody is going to pursue me. That's what he says. Not my enemies, because they're sitting in front of me, but something pursue me. And he's sure that the Lord's mercy and kindness and goodness will pursue all the days of my life. And that's encouraging, is it? Like, remember the days when you pursue your wife, man? Like, you pursue, like you wanted to be your wife, and she was just your girlfriend, and you pursue her. You invest the time, the money, the energy, the attitude was good, the everything was spotless. You pursue, you want to present like a peacock, present her with the best of you, and you just pursuing with your love. Is that the same today? Like you're pursuing your wife to be your wife, encouraging her to be your wife. Well, that's what God does to us. He pursuing us. When we're running away into desert, he pursues us with the two sheepdogs, I would say. The kindness, loving kindness, and his goodness. He sent those dogs to get us back kindly bring us back to himself. And the Lord, and the David said, well, I am sure that he will do that all the days of my life. I could never run away from my Lord. Even if I try, I could, because the loving kindness and goodness will pursue all the day of my life. The great shepherd loves us so much, pursue us so much, determined to pursue us so much, that we will be his forever, his forever. A few years back, a couple of years back, when my daughter just learned how to swim, and it was like her second day of swimming in the pool, and we let her do, to swim without the jacket. And there was a boy that she played with. He was in, in, the, in the life jacket, and for some reason, he started drowning in her. He just pushed her in her back like for five seconds, and I was just reading my book, and I saw my wife flee. Like in two seconds, she was in the pool, pulling her up. 
She pursued her to save her. Well, this is the Lord. When he saw you in your sin, he pursued you to save you, and he still does that. And that is why I could say my future is secure. I could experience the security. Like I shall not want, I'm lacking nothing. I shall not worry because I have peace. I shall not fear because he's with me. I shall not feel any need because he provides for me and I am secure because he pursues me. I want to follow that Lord. I want to be my Lord's sheep. Like Asaph in Psalm 73 says that this is my desire. And without the Lord, I would not want anything on earth. Psalm 27, 4 says, One thing I have desire of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Psalm 26, 8 says, Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your honor dwells. Psalm 65, 4, how blessed is the one whom you choose and bring near to you to dwell in your courts. We will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, your holy temple. Jesus went to prepare a place for us, and he's going to make sure that we'll follow him. And I want to be there with him. He will not leave me here abandoned. You know, that Navy SEALs motto that we would not leave man behind, whether alive or dead. This is Jesus about us. His sheep are so precious in his eye that he's never going to leave them here. He will bring us home, and we should feel secure. Now, is this true about you? Is the Lord your shepherd for real? Like you experience these things on a daily basis. It's not like once I experienced in 2007 that the Lord provided for me. It is like on a daily basis. Is he is your greatest need for real? Like tomorrow morning you get up, is that what you're going to thirst and thrive for? Because if not, you have another shepherd. In Psalm 49, we'll close with this, 14 and 15, there's a grim reality. If Jesus is not your shepherd... Here's what it says, who is. This is the way of those who are foolish and of those after them who approve their words. As sheep that are appointed to Sheol or to grave, death shall be their shepherd. You don't want that shepherd. Come to the great shepherd of life, experience life with him. Father, we thank you We praise you. We honor you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.